0: Well, good morning. How y'all doing this morning? Did y'all watch the Olympics last night? Yeah, I'll be able to tell by how many of you fall asleep during the sermon. That will tell me, like, did you stay up for gymnastics or volleyball or how much later it got into the night as you watched the Olympics. It's really cool, isn't it? Like, something about watching the Olympics and seeing people's hearts, like, just when they've thrown themselves into an event, they have trained for so long. To be part of something and so you watch them train you're celebrating with them you're rooting for them um, I was watching the swimmers the other day um, yesterday whenever it was when Phelps and the new guy the uh, what's his name Lo- Lockie yeah so Lockie and Lockie saying like Phelps is kind of like yeah I trained for like two days before I came here like Whatever happens, happens. It's a good time. I won my medals last year. It's like, man, I have poured my life into this for the last three years. Like, this is my year. Like, I have poured everything into it. So you're rooting for them. You want them to do well um, because you want them to finish well. You want to see them finish. You want to see that satisfaction that comes. So I was thinking about that this week, and we were talking about finishing well this morning. And uh, there was an Olympics Games. Uh, it seems not very long ago to me. But there may be people in the room who weren't even born yet. When it happened, it was back in 1992, um, which seems very long ago to me. I don't know. Anyway, uh, in 1992, there was a runner. His name was Derek Redmond, And uh, he had trained, and it was his dream to run in the Olympics. And uh, things didn't go exactly the way he planned. And uh, I just want you to watch this clip, and we're going to talk a little bit about him and what finishing well looks like for us as people of faith.
1: Derek Redmond, the best form he's shown since he broke the British record He was in great shape, you know, he, he was, had a chance, possibility of maybe getting a medal there Cuban Hernandez has got uh, Redmond to aim at, and so too in lane number three is Steve Lewis. But Redmond's got off very fast indeed, and so too as is Ismail of Qatar down the back straight. He's the fractional leader. Father of Nigeria has gone very quickly, and Redmond has broken down. He's on the track, kneeling down, and Derek Redmond, on well, his injury problem, the jinx has struck again.
2: Running down the backstrike, I heard a funny
0: clap or a pop, and I honestly, for a split second, thought I'd been shot. Uh, and then obviously, I realised I've, I've pulled a hamstring. And then, when the pain sort of died down, I remembered where I was and what I was doing, and I remember thinking, Quick, you're in the Olympic semi finals, you prat, get up and
1: start running. And I got to the 200 metre mark after hobbling 50 metres
0: and looked across, and all the guys had finished. And it pretty much hit me that, you know, it ain't going to happen, it's all over. I would have laid there. Yeah, know, two brothers, no way I would have got up. because a hamstring, when you've got a hamstring, you know you've got a hamstring.
1: He just wants to finish. His dad's trying to run under the track to stop him. He's
0: going to tell him, Derek, don't. The old man went to put his arms around me, and I was just about to try and push him off because I thought it was someone else. I didn't see him. He sort of jogged from behind. And uh, he said, look, you don't need to do this. You can stop him now. You haven't got nothing to prove. And I said, oh, I yeah, have, you know, get me back into lane five. I want to finish.
1: now in the greatest arena in sport. He's getting the cheer
0: of the Games. I would never have wanted to be in Derek shoe at that time. You know, it was a sad moment. It was a, you know, a great moment, you know, in the sport, to be honest.
1: It's a figure, a picture that just stays in your mind forever because you don't want to see any athlete having to go through that. You just knew how destroyed he was and just how much that race meant to him.
0: something about that moment, right, where that, you know, he had trained for so long, he had poured himself in, he wanted to finish. He wanted to finish well. And that moment where his dad runs out of the stand and meets him. And despite everybody else like, you know, oh, he's going to tell him not to finish, he's gonna, his dad grabs him by the arm, puts his arm around his, and said, I'm going to help you finish. I'm going to help you do it. And even as they're finishing, you can see his dad, like, you know, Derek's just ready to, like, weep. And his dad's like, not yet. We're not across the finish line. There'll be time for that, but I'm going to help you finish first. It's a beautiful picture of what the Father in heaven does for each one of us. When we go down in life and the Father just runs to greet us. He says, I've been waiting for you. I want to help you finish. I want to help you know me and enjoy me. And it's a picture of what we do for each other. Because the truth is, like, we all want to finish. Not one of us wants to be left behind, wants to be left on that track, just, man, in pain, not being able to go on. Not one of us wants to leave someone behind, but to look behind us and say, I want to help that person finish. I want to help them be part of that journey. There's something in the Christian life, the life of a follower of Jesus, that reminds us. That finishing well doesn't mean being in first. It doesn't mean we got the silver or the gold. It means we came alongside of each other. Finishing well means finishing together. There's a sense as a family of God that we need to finish together, and that in itself will be finishing well. This morning we're going to talk a little bit more about that. We're going to talk about Paul as he closes his letter in Romans, what it means to finish well, what it means to finish together. He models it really well for us. And you remember the whole book of Romans is in this context of reconciliation. In fact, you know, when he writes the book of Romans, Paul is writing to a church, to people he've never, he's never met. The Roman church kind of sprung up from Jews who had, were followers of Jesus and came to Rome and began to meet together, and then Gentiles began to come to Christ, and people were all coming to Jesus together, and then actually the Jews got expelled from Rome. And the Gentiles had to raise up their leadership, and they had to lead the church, and the Jews came back. And now you have these two different sets of people coming back into church together. And Paul is talking to them about what it means to finish well. It means finishing together. It means not having tension between each other. It's not fighting. It's bringing back together. And so Paul's talking about that. He's modeling it in this chapter. He wants them to know, listen, the whole story of Christ, everything that you know about Jesus is about reconciliation. It's about getting you back in touch with the Father who loves you, the Creator who's always wanted you to be part of His family, to know you as a son and for you to know Him as a dad. It's about Jesus reconciling us with each other that we might not be distant and afraid to let anyone in, but we might have the confidence to open up our hearts and to say, "I'm going to learn what real intimacy, what real relationship is about." It's about freedom from sin, from things in our life that entangle us and keep us from enjoying all the beauty that God wants to do in us and through us. It's about God accomplishing that in us. God calls us to this mission, and it is important. And He emphasizes it. Even our statement here at Daybreak, you know, our vision statement is just kind of a summary of of the gospel in Romans, which is. Helping people on a life-changing journey with Jesus. It's about finishing well. It's about finishing together. It's about doing the work of God without losing the work of God that isn't here. Because if we win people to Christ, but we lose who we are in the process, we lose the part of God of being together, what are we winning them to? We need to win them. We need to do both things simultaneously. And so Paul is challenging people in this chapter in Romans to do that, this last chapter of 16. So if you'll get your outline now, out, we're gonna go on a little journey today to discover what does it mean to finish well and how is finishing together such a huge part of it. So we finish well when we first when we work together as a team. When we can work together as a team. Working together as a team is huge throughout all of the all of Paul's writings, when throughout Christ's writings. I mean it was Christ Himself who said that the world will know you, they'll know you, you're my disciples by your what? By your love, by the fact that you're a team together. That's how they'll know who you are. When we work as a team, it is essential that we know what working as a team is about and how essential it is. Now there's a lot of teams that you see that work together and their mission is critical. And so they learn how to work together and it's important that they work together because they on a critical mission. So there's teams in the military, you know? You know, we celebrate teams like the SEALs team and and all these different teams in the military. They know that if they work together, if they don't work together, people's lives are on the line. People are going to die. And so they learn how to work together because it keeps people alive and it wins the mission. There are people that are in the police force and EMTs and firemen who all know there are people's lives on the line. If we don't work together, people will lose their lives. How much more critical is our mission? I mean, they're working to keep people alive for 80 years. But the mission that we deal with as followers of Christ is not about 80 years. It's about all of eternity. It's about reconnecting people with the God who loves them for all eternity. It's not just their life here that's on the line. It's their eternal destiny that's on the line. And so our job is all the more critical that we work together as a team. And if you've ever worked on a team, you know that, you know, sometimes I've worked on a lot of different teams in my life, and sometimes, you know, the work is really good, and the team is okay. But in those times when the work isn't so great, you know, and it's kind of like, oh, this isn't that engaging or whatever, having a good team makes all the difference. When things are going awry, when things aren't going the right way, the people that you work with help get you through when you really have a good team. And that's why... Being a team is so important. That's why Paul models this so well. And he wants us to learn how to be that kind of a team. So let's look at Romans 16. In the first five verses, I want you to just kind of pay attention to the, the modeling that Paul does as he describes a good team. He says, I commend, you to, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church of Centuria, Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever way she needs, for she has been helpful to many, and especially to me. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me, and I am thankful for them. And so are all the Gentile churches, and also Give my thanks and greetings to the church that meets in their home. Paul goes on and on. If you read the rest of chapter 16, you will find when 25 men and women that he specifically says, thank you, you blessed me. You impacted the church and the mission of Christ. You worked as a team, and I'm so thankful for that. He goes on and on because he wants, in this last chapter of Romans, to say working as a team is essential to who we are, and to accomplishing the mission that God's put us on. I think about this team at Daybreak and the countless number of people that I've worked with that I'm so thankful for. I mean, I have worked with people, and they have blessed me, and they have changed my life, and they make Daybreak what it is. I I remember when we were portable working with the, the te- setup and tear down team. Some of you were part of that man, like 6 a.m. in the morning and we're rolling cases, we're shoveling snow, we're rolling, we're rolling our portable cases through like water this deep and kind of shoveling water out of the way. And I mean, we have been through like the trenches together, but those friendships were rich that I developed with those guys and gals. Like, that was huge. I looked, even though I didn't really like getting up that early, I looked forward to being part of that team every day. You know, sweating with them, walking through that together. I think if I was going to write a letter like Paul today to daybreak it would sound something like this it would say you know thank you thank you Matt Pearson thank you Shelley McFadden for making scheduling the greeters through the week for encouraging the greeters thank you every one of you who greet and help me when I come in that door to have a little joy in the morning, to spread a smile to me after I watched the Olympics till way too late, and I'm kind of tired, and you shook my hand, and you just, you gave me a smile. You warmed me up so that when I sat in the chair, I could receive the grace of God. I would say thank you to people on the coffee team, people who make great coffee or sissy tea that I drink every Sunday, And just it warms my soul a little bit to have some of that on a Sunday morning. Thank you. Thank you, Eric, who I know. I see you when you get here early in the morning and part of the unlock and lockup team, and you put out signs. You are here from seven in the morning till after I leave, tearing everything back down. You make coffee, you tear it down. Thank you. I would say. Thank you to people like Linnea and Melissa and Maureen and Sherry and Cherry and all these people who you guys work with our children and you put in countless hours. And every once in a while when I'm not preaching or on the platform on Sunday morning, Linnea recruits me into the children's ministry. And, um, you know, the biggest blessing for me in that, um, because, you know, I, I, love, I, I love my kids, but they're even hard to love sometimes. So, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not always a kid's person, but i got to tell you this. When I hang out with them, and I see the way all of you love those children, when I see how important it is that they know Jesus and that you are making sure that they know Jesus, it blesses me and it impacts our church. I would say thank you to all of the artists who, man, they lead us in worship every Sunday. You know, they, they come here on Thursday nights for like four hours on Thursday nights and give their time and brave spiders and stuff that they, they even clear out like turtles according to my wife, turtle-sized spiders sometimes they find in here on Thursday nights and they clear them out. Thanks, Gerald, for taking care of my don't not, you know. My wife came home with the story of a spider like this big. I found out when I showed up this morning it was only really about this big, but it was you know huge for her. But thank you guys. Seriously. Like, and you know, a number of them like they, they say, just schedule me anywhere I'm willing to serve. And they do that with excellence because they want an environment that you can come and not be distracted, that you can focus on worshiping God and lifting up your voice and having God minister his grace to you. I'd say thank you to the tech team, you know, to Scott, to Gene, to Kyle, to to all the lights and the, the action and the sound, and they, they make you sound good and you know, Gerald's back there and I told him first service too, like he could turn me off anytime he wants to, because I've gone too long, and most of the time he resists. So thank you, Gerald, for that. I, I would I would say thank you to the student ministry people who like, man, they they invest into my teenagers. And my teenagers need that investment. <laughs> thank you. Thank you to every one of you. And that's I'm just scratching the surface. I mean, I could go in for hours because that's, that's just even Sunday morning. And there's, there's during the week, you know, Robin leads the care ministry. There's people who go visit people in the hospital and minister God's grace there to them. There are people, small group leaders, who lead and help people find the core truths of the gospel in their life and lead them through difficult times. All week long, God's grace is being administered. And I just want to say thanks because I think this is a dream team. I think that this is a team of people who care for each other. When, when someone goes through a hard time, they're willing to step up. They're like Derek Redmond's dad running out of the stands. Say, can I come alongside you during this really hard time? Help you get to the next place. It's huge. It's not something that we should take for granted. And it's something I think Paul was modeling to say, don't take it for granted. To work together as a team like this is a blessing, is grace. But the truth is that most of us do take it for granted some days, right? Like, I show up here, and to be honest, there are days I show up, and I just expect it to be great. Like, I'm not thinking like, ooh, I wonder if someone will greet me, or I wonder if the music will be good. I'm just, I know. People are going to minister to the children. I know the music is going to be great. I just, it's going to be a great day. And in taking that for granted, I miss the opportunity to thank others, to really appreciate them, to say thank you the way you blessed me today. And so I want to give you opportunity. I want to give you permission, like, to say thank you anytime someone blesses you, to say thanks, to take that response card. I give you permission to use your response card as a thank you card. Just write out a thank you note to someone and hand it to them and say thanks. Because sometimes people need that. They need that part of the team just to say thank you. I know that there have been times in my life where I've wondered, like, I've worked hard and I've wondered, like, is this all worth it? Like, is this really making any difference? And then I've gotten a note from one of you. I remember a note from someone that I had visited a, a class they were in and just told them a little bit about my heart and what God had, how God had touched me. And they, they sent me a note letter saying, thank you. Thanks for speaking your heart to us. Thank you especially for just being honest, like, just your person and what you've been honest about. It totally wrecked me in a good way. It's inspired me to go on. I remember uh, Leslie Miller sending me a note. We had talked about something, and I prayed for her, and she sent me a follow-up note just to say, you must be praying because like, things are changing in my heart and my life right now. We need those moments when people say thank you and we go, ah, working as a team is good. We see God's grace flowing through us, and we celebrate it. So don't be afraid to say thank you because it will make a huge difference in someone else's life. You know, I, I just want to let you know that I am blessed by all of you. And if you haven't had an opportunity to really be part of our team at Daybreak, I've got to tell you, it is an awesome opportunity. You will rub shoulders with some of the best people I know, and you will be blessed by it. And uh, you'll have lots of opportunities in the month of August to be part of that. I just want to let you know how blessed I am and how much thankful I am for that. And Paul, in his note to the Romans, is basically saying, finish well. And if you want to finish well, work as a team. Finish together. Because there's something monumentous about finishing together. And that's why he challenges. Treat each other with encouragement, respect. Challenge each other. Help each other on that journey. But it's not just working as a team that's important. Paul brings this concept down to another concept that he, he brings into other passages and writes it. It becomes a theme of his writing in some ways throughout the scripture because he's learned lessons himself about this one. And that's the second thing. If we want to finish well, we need to guard our unity in Christ. We need to guard our unity in Christ because we need to be together. Unity is a crucial element of the church of the people, the body of believers who love Jesus and are following them. Unity is huge, and probably some of you have experienced churches where it wasn't a crucial element, and it probably wasn't good memories, probably not some good memories of that. And that's why Paul says you need to guard your unity. Paul knows that this boils down for him to so many occasions on his own life where, like, you know, he was about to go on, in one instance in Acts, he's about to go on a missionary journey, and there's a young man named Mark who wants to go with him. And he's like, no, I'm not taking that guy. He's not going to carry his weight. He didn't carry his weight last time, not bringing him along. And later he repents of that, says it was wrong. And I think as he's writing this passage in Romans, he's reflecting on all of those experiences, and all of those churches he's planted where he saw unity as such a gift. And it's something supernatural, something crucial faith i think he was reflecting on you know jesus's words they will know you're my disciples by your love and so he says love one another have unity so this is what he says in romans 16 17 through 19 he says and now i make one more appeal my dear brothers and sisters Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what have been taught. So, in essence, Paul's saying, do you know what endangers the unity the most? The unity of the people of the church. Do you know what's most dangerous to them? The people of the church. The people of the church are the people who endanger the unity of the church. There's danger here. And so he warns us, in this case, Watch out for teaching that's contrary to the core truths of the gospel. Stay away from them, for such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. But everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord, and this makes me very happy. I want you to be wise in doing the right thing and stay innocent from doing anything wrong. Paul says unity is essential. And it's really important. And it can be destroyed simply by this, self-interest, personal self-interest, personal agenda, wanting to accomplish. And isn't that what we're taught from the time we are babies until now? Like be interested in yourself, develop yourself, develop your career, save for your retirement, make sure everything lines up in your life. Like personal interest, self-interest. This is what we're taught. By the world to say, and God says, no, I'm turning the table on that. And I'm saying, that is not the way. That is not the way you can finish. And, and it's all about earth and medals, right? Get the gold and silver by, finish, by being self-interested. God says, the gold and silver, that's not a win. That's not finishing well. Finishing well is when you finish together in unity. So he encourages us to finish well. And here's what's interesting about this. There are two things we're going to read in this Ephesians passage I want you to notice. One is that unity is a gift of God's Holy Spirit. It is supernatural. It is not something you can create. It is something that God creates and gives you as a gift and then says, guard it. It is precious. And the second thing is this. We're taught from the time we were young, develop yourself, be self-interested, and to be a better person, be focused on yourself and developing yourself, and that will make you a better person. But this passage in Ephesians doesn't say that at all. It actually says, if you want to be a better person, then learn how to be a better person to someone else. Focus on other people. Focus on what's good for them, and you'll become better yourself. Let's check out Ephesians 4. It says this, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Every single one of you have been called by God. God's calling out your name. He has designed you for a purpose. He has a contribution for you to make, and it is important and essential. And he says, live a life worthy of it. And He goes on to say, always be humble and gentle. Now, humble and gentle is not something that's typically good for you, right? I mean, when you're humble and gentle, it usually I means there's a reason that you had to be humble and gentle. Like someone Someone like, you know, in the story of David and Saul from the Old Testament, Saul's like this mad king. He's throwing spears at David, and David is humble and gentle. He's dodging the spears, and he's not throwing them back. But isn't it our natural reaction to know when someone throws a spear at you, you pick it up, and you do what? You throw it back at them, right? That's our natural self-interested reaction. And God says, no, be humble and gentle. Choose to duck the spear. Choose to not have words back, harsh words back for those who have harsh words for you. Humble and gentle doesn't always feel good for yourself. But God says it'll make you better. And it'll create unity. It'll guard that unity. He's on to say, be patient with each other. Again, patient. Who does patient benefit? I can tell you for me as a parent, with your children, patience usually benefits them, doesn't it? Like it doesn't really benefit you. You're... You're on the edge of your patience wanting to, like, you know, put them in a straight jacket with a barrel with a lid on, like Mark Twain said, right? Like when your kids be, get to be middle schoolers, you put them in a barrel, you put the lid on, you seal it tight. Like as a parent, like there's just, we have, I read this other day, and I've been using this with my kids, this a simple rule. I said, listen, can we just live by one simple rule? If you think what you're doing is annoying someone, stop. Seems simple, and yet so hard for them to follow. So difficult. Patience. Patience benefits others. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. It's hard to make allowance for other people's faults, isn't it? And especially if they're not making allowance for your faults, right? They bring up one of your faults, what's the natural reaction to do? Oh, yeah? Well, let me bring up one of yours. I can one-up that one. And you play, you know, you ever play that with your spouse, the one-up game one faults? See who's got the most, see you can remember the faults. Most of us as guys know that you lose that game, and so you stop playing early in your marriage because you can't remember all the faults. You're just going to lose. You make allowance for the faults because of love. And then it says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And some translations actually say, like, guard this unity that's a gift of the Spirit. The idea here in this passage is that God has given you a gift of the Holy Spirit, and that's what binds you in unity. So guard it, guard it with your own willingness. And why do you do that? Because there is one spirit, because there is one Lord, because there's one baptism, there's one faith, there is one God, Father, Lord over all, in all, and through all. We are one. And that's why we guard our unity. That's why it is so essential that we help each other on this journey, that we find God's word and we say, God, your word has authority in my life. We see it like as a daybreak statement of faith says that this is God's perfect guidebook for living. It is the guide rails to our life. It will give you truth and freedom. It will give you a heart that is pure. And if you're willing to allow it to have authority in your life, God's word becomes like honey to you. It becomes sweetness for your soul. It, it is like this way of uncovering the goodness that God is in you so that you can fully enjoy it, so that others can fully enjoy you. You know, I got to go on this trip uh, last week. Um, I got to go backpacking. Um, it's like a development trip. It was like the last thing I did for my sabbatical. Um, it was really, really cool. There were eight or nine pastors, three or four guides on this trip, and leaders, and just amazing. Went to Colorado, and uh, we got to go climbing. I got to rappel down off these like 200-foot cliffs, um, we put backpacks on, we went out into like the Collegiate Peaks, like, I mean, just hiked out into the middle of nowhere, base camp was like a 10,000 feet, and uh, you know, my wife said, I am so not jealous of you, why would you want to do this? This is just nuts, and uh, I so loved it, although by the end of the week, I was kind of tired of my own BO, because there was no showers, and like, in the week, you're just like, I really stink, this is horrible. Now here's the really cool thing about this trip. One of the greatest apologetics of our faith is our unity. So I show up to this trip with eight or nine other pastors, four or five guides, all people who love Jesus. We're all from different backgrounds. Some of these guys are Reformed church people, some of them are for evangelical free church, some are from Brethren in Christ, some Alliance guy, like all from different backgrounds. First two or three days, as we get to know each other, we're just we're sharing stuff that you don't share with strangers, right? We are walking together to the point of like we come down off these like huge hikes and you're like exhausted. There's no oxygen left in your lungs. Your lungs are on fire and your legs are worn out. You just want to sit down and we're all waiting at the bottom of the hill before base camp saying we don't go in until we're all here. We go in together. We have these moments where at, in the evening, where we just go out and we sing together we worship god together there's something incredible about standing in the middle of the back country of colorado in the mountains when a thunderstorm is coming across the thing and the lightning's in the background and you're singing how great thou art you know and you're singing about it and it is just amazing to the point of like one of them told me sean you have a really good voice and i'm like okay now you brought love and charity a little too far you know you don't have to lie for my account like it It was sweet, and it was good. And one of the greatest apologetics is just this depth that we felt together. I've been with other people who don't know Jesus on, you know, places where you're doing that kind of thing, and it's not the same. And so when therapy meets survivor on a trip like that, and you can have that kind of depth with other men and women who love God, it is really special, and it is what Paul's talking about. It's the supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit that we are not to take for granted. And what ruins it? What challenges it? Disobedience, right? Like things that God talks to us about, like gossip and greed, lack of forgiveness. You know, when we just, when someone does something to us and we just blow it off in the family, oh, well, I'll just overlook it without really forgiving them. It destroys our unity. When we make assumptions about others and their attentions, essentially when we serve our own personal interests, it hurts God's God's gift of unity. The Desert Fathers, when I've been doing a lot of reading of them, and they say, when we scandalize a brother or sister, we scandalize Christ himself. When we make assumptions, when we sin against one another, when we... When we fail to forgive, when we make assumptions, when we just let anger stir in our hearts, it's not just against that person. It's about Jesus himself because we are his family. We are his reflection in the world. And that's why Jesus says, by your love. By your love, they will know you. You will be the greatest witness by your love for each other. And Paul knows how dangerous it is. I notice how dangerous that sin is. Whether you know, we, Sometimes I think we get this misconception that sin is, just affects us, like our sin just affects us. Oh, if I don't forgive that person, it's just going to affect me. They won't even know that they've done anything wrong. But down deep in your heart, you know the truth, right? They know that you're avoiding them. They know that you're holding something against them, and they don't know why. When you sin, when you do something, whether it's even relational, even if it's something that you think is just about you, it isolates you because it isolates you from God. Because it throws a dark cover over your heart, the things in your heart, and it keeps you from intimacy with God and intimacy with others. And so God says, don't do it. Listen carefully to my words because these are the words of life for you. And finishing well means finishing together. And you can't be together if you've isolated yourself. So God encourages us to be together, to celebrate obedience. But that battle can be difficult. I mean, Paul himself in Romans 7 says, sometimes I want to do the right thing, but I don't do the right thing. And even though I know what the right thing to do is, I still don't do the right thing. Have You ever been there? Like when you just struggle, there's something in your life or someone in your life and it just goes wrong. Have you ever had, like, strife in your family? Even though maybe everybody knows Jesus, and there's just relational strife, and you're just like, Lord, let it end. Like, I just can't do it anymore. And in those times of battle, in those times when we struggle most, God gives us a promise to stand on. And his promise is in Romans 16.20. It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. God's promise to you is though Satan would love to destroy your unity, though Satan would love to give you relational strife, the God of peace will crush him. You can stand on the promise that God says it will not last forever. And my grace, in the meantime, will sustain you. Though you may be in a school that is teaching you humility, and gentleness, and patience, forgiveness and repentance, one day you'll graduate and you'll be thankful that you were in that school. If only you'll just submit to God and say, God, I trust in you and I receive your grace. And sometimes that grace comes directly from God and he gives you this gift. And sometimes it comes through his word. And sometimes it comes through someone in your family, someone in your spiritual family who just administers grace to you who says, I'm going to be with you, who runs out of the stands and says, I would love to be with you. you know, as a pastor, um, every once in a while I get to be a part of a family who's letting someone pass on to the next life, You know, helping them through the grieving process. As a part of that funeral, speaking to them, speaking to their family, I think about the shortness and brevity of life. Think about the finish line. Last week, Pastor Rick did a funeral for a, a brother of a person at Daybreak. He was 48 years old. 48 years old, and um, he was out just doing his tomatoes, just picking tomatoes in his garden when he passed on. 48. There was a time in my life that 48 seemed like a long way away, but I'm 43 now, and um, it's not so long. The finish line. I just reminds me like. I don't know when the finish line is, and neither do you. Not one person here knows when your finish line is. And yet we live like this life is forever, right? We plan for, when am I going to retire? Am I going to travel? Am I going to do all this stuff? Instead of seeing the view of eternity, where God says, finishing well is not about a gold medal here. It's not about your silver medals. and your It's about finishing together. Do you know when you learn this lesson best, when you are at someone's hospital bed right before they go. They have never once asked me for trophies, for their bank statement, for a picture of their car. They've never once asked me for all the job titles in their resume. But they have asked me for the people who love them to be by their side to speak blessing over them because down deep in every one of our souls is this innate sense that finishing well means finishing together. And you want someone to be there with you as you finish this life and go into the next that lasts forever. So what about you? Have you ever been in a place where you know that finishing well is finishing together and yet you've been burned before? You know what I mean by that? Like you've opened up your life to someone and they hurt you with it. You were intimate, you were friendly with someone, you let someone into your life and they hurt you and then you cut it off. You said, no more, I'm not doing that anymore. It's too risky for me. So you say, maybe I'll just finish alone. But if you finish alone, probably won't finish well. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Will you guard your unity by just being open and transparent? Letting others into your life. I think about when, before I went on my sabbatical and just being out of gas emotionally, being at the end of myself, and having so many people come alongside me in my own brokenness who said, I love you and we'll be with you. I want not you take this gift of sabbatical and so many people were encouraging to me. Say, thanks for all you've done for us. Like, we want to give you this gift. Go go allow Jesus to heal you and minister to you. We'll go with you on that journey. It's okay. It's It's worth the risk to open your life and say, I'm just done. I need help. Because when you do, someone runs out of the stands with your hamstring hurt and they come alongside you and they pick you up and they put their arm around you and they say, come on, we'll finish together. And when you do that for someone else, you realize that when your hamstring pulls in life and you're out and you can't finish on your own, and someone will run out of the stand for you. And they'll love you because they're part of the team, because they know what unity really means. Because they know finishing well means finishing together. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your calling on every one of our lives. Thank you for running out of the stand and rescuing us. Thank you, Christ, for the sacrifice that you made on the cross, that you would reconcile us with you and with each other. And now you give us this gift to be on your team, to know the unity that happens as a gift of your Holy Spirit for those who love you and surrender their lives to you. It is incredible. So God, no matter where we are this morning, I pray that that we would grasp and know in our hearts. May we grasp the forgiveness that you offer to give us a fresh, clean start with each other and with others. May you give us the courage to be humble, to be gentle, to make allowance for each other's faults. And God, even when we feel like we have been faithless, that we have not done well, when we feel like I can't take that risk one more time, God, may we know, may we know that you love us, that you will not fail us, that your faithfulness to us is there even when we're not faithful to you. God, help us to rise and meet the challenges that you give us so that we can fully enjoy finishing well, so that we can finish together and help each other on that journey. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Reach into your program guide and pull out your blue response card and just get ready to respond to God with me this morning. This message was a great one and it brought both blessing and challenge to my heart this morning. It brought blessing because I found myself sitting there thinking about what an honor it's been to be part of this Daybreak family really since the beginning. And I found myself just reflecting on just how thankful I am for the ways that God has used me and has used others um, in this church family. And I, I thought of several names of people that I need to send that thank you card to today. As Pastor Sean said, you know, you could use your response card. Mine's a little filled up, so I'll have to actually get some thank you cards uh, this week and make sure that I thank the people who have impacted my life um, in so many ways through this church family. And the message brought a challenge as I thought about what it means to be part of this family and the huge responsibility that comes with being a follower of christ it spoke so clearly to me through the message in that passage in ephesians um, where paul begs us to live a life worthy of our calling to live a life worthy of our calling and all that that means to be humble and gentle and patient forgiving To do whatever it takes to help build and maintain unity in the body and if I'm honest this morning I'll tell you there are times that I do that well but there are times that I don't and I need to rely on God's power on the presence of his Holy Spirit in my life where I need to call on him daily hourly moment by moment to ask him to do the work in me So that I can be somebody who helps bring about that unity in the body. And so I just want to encourage you this morning as you reflect on how God was speaking to you. Whatever it is in your life, whatever that mountain is, whatever that battle is that you're thinking about this morning and that you're recognizing may need some intervention, whether by God's spirit or by other people in your church family, in your life. God's bigger. God's bigger than all of it, and he wants to do that work in you. So take some time these next few moments to just call out to God, to write a note, a prayer out to him on your response card, to write down those few people's names that you want to reach out to this week. Whatever it is that God's speaking, use this time to respond to him.